sermon, didn't we, just hearing people's testimony. A couple things I want to mention. Today we're, we're doing two things. Right after the service we have a picnic, but in addition to that you may have noticed a line of tables out front. The reason for that is we believe the Bible teaches if you're a Christian, you should be in community, you should be serving, and you should be in worship. And so one of the ways that we try to encourage people to get in community is to be in some sort of a small group. And so today we'll have a whole line of tables out there with leaders of all different small groups, and we invite you to just check them out. There's no obligation. They're not going to ask for your social security number. You're not committed if you walk up to their table. Don't go past them like this. Just if you're not connected in some sort of a study and you would like to find out more about there's men's studies, women's studies, couple studies, different locations, just, just find out, hey, where do you meet? What do you, you know, maybe some of you are looking for a study on parenting or on marriage or the doctrines of the Bible. There's all kinds of studies, all kinds of small groups. So be sure to avail yourself. Just check them out on your way out and then come on out to the picnic, grab a hot dog, meet somebody and um, get connected here. We're really happy to have you. This morning we're going to talk about believers' baptism. And so we want to begin by praying and then if you're visiting with us, as you heard a couple of people say, much like my experience, I grew up in a mainline denominational church, a Methodist church, but we never read from the Bible, right? So I was clueless when I came to a church where they actually started reading from the Bible, and it totally changed my life. That's why I today stand before you because of God's grace through the Bible. So what we do is we give away Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or you forgot your Bible or you didn't know you're supposed to bring one, our, our folks will come now. If you would like to have a Bible or you just want to borrow one, just raise your hand and we'll gladly give you one. We encourage you to read the Bible and just explore. So many people I meet, oh, yeah, I already know the Bible, but they really don't, especially if you grew up in some sort of religious school. You, in many ways, were inoculated to some of the things the Bible teaches and kind of have been put off a little bit. So let's pray and we'll look at God's Word. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone that's here, family and friends, and our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Riverstone. We're a church family, and we thank you that you're so gracious and merciful, and you love us. And Jesus died and rose again to change lives. Father, we know the church is not a place where good people gather to judge the bad, nor should it be a place where hypocrites gather just to live wicked lives during the week, but it's a hospital. Jesus said he came to call sinners, and those that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. And we, we freely admit that all of us are sinners, and we need your grace, and we need Jesus. And we thank you for the great gift of salvation that he's given to us, and he offers to those who have not yet come to him. So speak to us today through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get going here. First of all, why do Christians practice baptism? It seems kind of weird, right? Like dunking people under water. And really, probably one of the main things to, to note is that people have various beliefs. So you're like, man, some people sprinkle babies, some people, I even saw a video where over in a place in Russia, they take babies and they, they turn them upside down and ram them in the water three times. I was horrified. If you did that here in America, you would go to jail. But at the end of the day, because there's various beliefs, please don't settle for this. Oh, they're all right. They can't be all right. They could be all wrong, but if they mutually contradict one another, they can't be all right. So the idea here is, is there a way to know what's the truth about baptism? How do I determine whether it's for babies or adults and why we do it and when we do it and so forth? So there's a couple issues that I want you to think about. 
really when we're asking the question, you know, how do I know what's the truth, there's two issues. The first issue is the issue of what is your authority for your beliefs? Everybody believes stuff, right? Even an atheist has beliefs. I don't believe in God. Well, why not? What's your authority? So an atheist would say, my authority is my reason, my mind, what I can see. I've never seen God. I don't think he exists. Other people put their confidence in some outside external authority that's, that's taught to them. And many people embrace their beliefs often are based on whatever you grew up with. If you were born into a Jewish family, I believe what Jewish people believe. If, if you're born into a Catholic, well, I believe a Roman Catholic, I believe a Protestant, I, I believe um, the Muslim faith. So the question we want to ask is, is there a way to know um, if, if some teaching is the truth, okay? Because there's all these competing ideas out there. So I want to, I want to, think of two issues here. First of all, I want us to think of the issue of scripture versus tradition. And there's a reason why this is important because particularly when it comes to the Protestant faith and the Roman Catholic faith, one of the primary distinctions here is this very issue of what is the final source of authority. So evangelical Christians would say it is scripture alone is the final source of authority. If, if this is what the Bible says, then, then that is our final authority. In the Roman Catholic faith, they would say that it's scripture and tradition. And part of the reason for that is they believe that the popes stand as the vicar or representative of Christ. And so if a pope declares something throughout the history of the church, that tradition then takes on authority. So it's not that they don't believe the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible is the final or sole authority. So that's why they practice things and believe things differently. Now, that's not to say all Protestants have a, have a systematized, unified view, but it's important to ask yourself, when, when scripture and tradition contradict, who should I go with? So for example, if the, the Bible says that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but the tradition of the, the Catholic Church is that one of the popes declared Mary a, a perpetual virgin, and so she never um, had children. What do I go with? How, how do I handle this contradiction between Scripture and tradition? Well, thankfully, we have in the Bible an example of this. The Lord Jesus, at a certain point in his life on earth, some religious leaders came to him from Jerusalem and saying, hey, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. This didn't have anything to do with sanitation. The Jews of Jesus' day had added a lot of traditions. And one of them was you had to have this ceremonial washing, not for cleanliness, but for godliness. And so Jesus and his disciples weren't doing that, right? And they're like, hey, man, why are you guys breaking the traditions? And notice what Jesus said. He said, why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And he went on to say, I'll give you an example. The Bible says, honor your father and mother, but you came up with a convenient way to declare your monetary possessions given to God so you can't help your mom and dad. Sorry, mom and dad, I gave my possessions to God. Now, I can still use them, but I can't give them to you. And Jesus says, what you've done here is you, you've, 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 Change the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So that ought to get me to think, now, if scripture and tradition aren't lining up, where should I lean? 
The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Colossians, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, what I don't want you to do is go to your community college and say, I'm dropping out of philosophy class because the Bible says philosophy is wicked, right? The word philosophy just means the love of wisdom. And there's nothing wrong with philosophy. The issue is, what philosophy is it? So notice what he says. Don't be taken captive through philosophies that are according to the traditions of men rather than according to Christ. So as you're thinking about religious things, ask yourself, is this a tradition or is this according to Christ, according to his words? So another example, actually I'm going to skip that verse because we, we don't have a lot of time. But what would cause a person to come to the conclusion that this book right here is the absolute final authority from God? I've had people say to me, that's just some book written by men. Why do you believe that book is any more authoritative than other books? Well, there's a number of reasons of which I don't have time to go into detail. But at the end of the day, I want you to think about this. To come to the conclusion that this is God's authoritative word is an amazing thing that God changes your mind. And Paul gives an example of this. He walked into a city called Thessalonica, of which these people were Greek, pagan, polytheistic idolaters. They're bowing down to statues, worshiping Zeus and all these gods. And he comes in and he says, I want to tell you the truth. There's only one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. He came and he died and he rose again. And you need to repent and turn from these silly idols and follow Christ and he will forgive you. And when that happened... And these people just said, all right, we're doing it. You're like, what just happened? Why did they do that? So when he wrote to them, he said, we thank God constantly that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Now this morning, I don't have time, but we would be glad to talk to you about this. If you're like, how do you know that's a word of God? We'd be glad to answer those questions. But at the end of the day, you see where I'm going. Is, am I going to believe the word of God or am I going to say, well, you know, people have traditions. Jesus, when he was on earth, got a compliment. One of the women in the crowd said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. You know, man, bless, bless your dear mother Mary. And Jesus said, well, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Now, you can see what, what's going to happen here when we have this clash between tradition and scripture. Those of you who have grown up in a tradition, if you start moving in a different direction and say, hey, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. You can see how that's going to lead to friction, right? What's your family going to say? Oh, so you're going to sit here and tell us that we're all wrong and Mr. Holy there. You go, well, hang on here. Don't shoot the messenger. I just have come to the place where I'm convinced that the Bible is the truth. And Jesus, what he said is what I want to follow. So that's the first issue of scripture and tradition. And basically what I want you to see here is when it comes to the Roman Catholic faith on baptism, and we welcome, we're happy to have people from Roman Catholic background here. Come and study with us. We don't consider ourselves better than you or, you know, we're, we have all the answers but we want to just study together and, and you're free to ask us questions, go back to your priest, talk, talk things over. We have many people who, who are here from a Roman Catholic background and you're very welcome. And it's important that all of us know, well, why do we believe what we do? Well, I don't have time to, to go through all of this, 
but this would be a sample of what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. This is not what I think they believe. This is right from an online website from Ave Maria Press, some of the essentials of the Roman Catholic faith. So the Roman Catholic faith believes in seven sacraments, and these sacraments are means by which God infuses grace to you. The first three are called initiation, which would be baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist. The next ones are penance and the anointing of the sick, and then the last two are matrimony and holy orders. Many of you have never heard that. Many of you are like, oh yeah, I grew up with that. I went through CCD, I remember all this. So I want to just talk about this initial initiation rite of baptism. In the Roman Catholic tradition, primarily they, they, they have this initiation rite with children. But there are times when people will convert to Catholicism as an adult, and they do baptize adults. But I want you to notice one of the things that they teach about baptism, and that is that baptism, and this is from their website, brings new life in Christ. And if you've ever attended a Roman Catholic baptism, you'll listen carefully as they're sprinkling their chi that child, and they're, this child is now born again, right? This child has now received new life. Now, some people would say, but wait, in the Bible, you're supposed to have personal faith in Christ to receive new life. And their view is, no, the faith of the church, the, by the work of the, those who perform the baptism, that faith is transfusing God's grace and that child is born again. So this is why it's, it's very important in the Catholic tradition. They want their children baptized early because until they're baptized, they're not alive. They, 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 they need to be reborn in Christ's life. And so that's how it became prevalent. This is their view. And so people frequently come here and say, hey, pastor, will you baptize my infant? And I'll ask them why. Well, I want them to be reborn. And I'm like, well, I just don't think the Bible teaches that, but I'd be happy to talk to you about that. So on the other hand, as an adult, some people are initiated into the Catholic tradition through an adult baptism, and I don't want to take a lot of time. But um, and this is not a mockery term, cradle Catholics, but if you grew up in the Catholic Church, this is in their, in their study, right? You're initiated in the church as infants. Your godparents speak in your name. You go to catechisms. Your faith grows gradually, and then the sacraments of initiation are received later. But primarily, I want you to think about this. The cat, this is still from their website. What are the effects of baptism? It washes away original sin and any other sins and the punishment due. Now, I, I want to say that I don't think the Bible teaches that, right? If you can show me from God's word where baptism washes away original sin, then we would be happy to discuss that. But if the Bible doesn't teach that, then I really have to wrestle with this. Well, what does the Bible teach? Why do we get baptized? What's going to happen if I don't baptize? That's a scary thing. If you believe if your child's not baptized, his original sin isn't washed away, then you should be beating the doors down to get him baptized or her baptized. They believe that baptism makes us children of God, okay? Now, again, that's a tradition. You won't find that taught in the Bible. Jesus never said, if you get baptized, that's how you become a child of God. In fact, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, as many as receive Christ and who believe in him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. But at least... We want to understand why people are doing this, okay? So, that's one issue, authority. The second issue, though, is 
what if someone says, well, no, 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 I, I don't believe tradition's important. I believe the Bible is, is what I believe about salvation and baptism. But even then, this issue needs to be discussed, and here's why. Because people have, quote, different interpretations of the Bible. And for that reason, that's how some people just bail. They go, please, you know, everybody's got a different interpretation. So why even bother with it? I'm going, wait a minute. That would be like saying, there's nine bottles here on this table. Nine of them are arsenic and they'll kill you. One of them will give you eternal life, Ponce de Leon, right? But since people are arguing about which one's right, why bother? As opposed to saying, well, I need to consider, can I read the Bible and come to some reasonable conclusion? Or is it possible that someone could open the Bible and read a verse, but come to the wrong interpretation? And I want you to think about that. Of course they can. So, if the Bible is my sole authority, how do I know if I'm correctly interpreting it? Right? How, how do I know that this is what it teaches? So, so here's why this is important. Some of you may have heard of, grown up with, or seen. It's much more predominant in the, in the South, but there's a denomination called the Church of Christ. Okay? There's a Church of Christ over on... Levittown Parkway. The Church of Christ believes that baptism is essential for salvation. You're not saved until you are baptized. So I want us to look at a verse here just, just to remind us that not everyone who says this is what the Bible says is understanding it correctly. The Apostle Peter wrote in his letter, as he spoke about Paul's letters in verse 16, he says, some of Paul's letters are hard to understand. And that's true. There's, a, there's some things in the book of Romans, chapter 9, they are like, wow, that's heavy. But look what he says about, he says, untaught and unstable people distort the scriptures as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now, you, you ought to be looking at me and going, well, how do I know you're not distorting them? You know, maybe you're going to try to get me to drink the Kool-Aid. And that's an important thing to think about, right? Just because somebody stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, what's my responsibility? How do I know whether they're telling me the truth? Is there a way to be confident that I'm interpreting the Bible correctly? And, and, and I would say yes. And I want to I share with you some thoughts on that. First of all, as I said, the Church of Christ says you have to, you have to be baptized to be saved. And I'm going to show you the verse that they use. But before we get there, I want to talk briefly about this idea of, well, you know, how do I know who's right? Well, look what Paul told Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. So, so first of all, when people say, ah, oh, I don't like to read, I don't like to think, you know, have you ever thought about this? You know what the word amusement means? I'd rather watch TV and be amused. Muse means to think. When you put ah on the front of it, it's not, Right? So I want to be amused. I do not want to think, right? So if you're going to interpret the Bible, you have to read it, right? And just because somebody says, hey, look what it says, right? Be diligent to handle it accurately. So here's, here's what I love. I love to hear pages turning. I love to see people thinking, writing things down, coming up and asking questions and not going, Pastor Tom said it. We are all robots. We just do whatever he says. Does he want us to jump off a cliff? No. Look what God says about this this church in Berea, Paul would come in and say, this is what God's word teaches. But it says, these were noble-minded, more than those in, 
Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, right? They listened, and it's a joy to see more and more people come in here and say, man, I never heard this stuff before. They listened. But don't take my word for it. Go home then and examine the scriptures daily. Read your Bible and see whether these things were so. So for some of you, are going, man, I'm hearing new stuff here. This, these, they're going to get out snakes and be crazy. Just listen and go, is this, do you hear anything that you're going, I need to think about this. I need to go back and start reading my Bible. The problem is, a lot of people today don't want to hear the Bible, right? They're like, ah, oh, you're just a bunch of proud haters. You're dogmatic. You know, you, you hate people who who believe homosexuality is okay, okay, you think everybody else is going to hell, but your religion, I'm going, wait a minute. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, right? So Paul told Timothy, he said, as times go on, people won't want to hear the Bible. That's why Joel Osteen's so popular, because he won't preach the sharp edges of the Bible. He's not going to talk about hell. He's not going to talk about repentance. He's not going to talk about Jesus is the only way. He's just going to tell people the things that they want to hear about how to be happy and prosperous and healthy. But Paul says to Timothy in verse 2, preach the word, reprove and rebuke and exhort. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And I've known of people who have just said, I'm not coming there anymore. I don't like that Pastor Tom. He says this and he says that. Who does he think he is? Now, if it's my annoying personality, I apologize. But if, if I'm telling you what the Bible says, then you need to think this through. Why would I not want to hear the Bible? Well, it makes me uncomfortable, right? So Paul says, in the last days, men will accumulate teachers after their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from what? The truth. People are like, oh, there's no such thing as truth. They're all true. And I'm going, please, the Bible doesn't teach that. There's truth, and you can find it if you want to find it. Jesus said, if any man's willing to do God's will, he'll know whether my teaching is from God. So you say, well, what if I hear somebody say something? How do I know if that's accurate? Well, we learn how to study the Bible, and we, we teach people how to study the Bible on their own. But I want to remind you also, you have the Holy Spirit. So there's always going to be people that are going to try to mislead and deceive you about many things, right? So the Apostle John said, this is the promise which he made to us, eternal life. There would be many people say, you can't know if you have eternal life. That's presumptuous. How do you know? You have to wait till you die. No, the Bible says if you believe in Christ, you have eternal life, right? So John says, I've written to these things concerning those who are trying to deceive you, right? Everybody's making some claim. The atheist goes, there is no God. You know, the scientist says, you know, we're, we evolved. There was no real Adam. Everybody's got these opinions, right? But at the end of the day, John says, the anointing which you receive from him, now that's a term that's used of the Holy Spirit. And, and he uses this a few verses earlier. The anointing of the Holy Spirit which you receive from him abides in you. Ultimately, you have no need for anyone to teach you because at the end of the day, as you listen and you're studying scripture, if you're truly a believer, the Holy Spirit will confirm to you this is the truth. So he says, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and it has taught you abide in him. So he's not saying here, don't listen to any teachers, don't read, don't listen to preachers. But he's saying, listen, study, look, and the Spirit of God 
will confirm to you the truth about salvation. Like to me, hands down, the number one question everybody ought to be asking is, how do I get to heaven, right? What do I have to do to be forgiven? Can I know that I'm forgiven? And then what does the Bible teach about things like baptism? So you and I should ask yourself, what's your authority? Right? Some of you are going, it's my mind. I don't even believe this stuff. You know? Okay, well, you might want to rethink that. You're like, what, are you trying to scare me? No, I'm trying to warn you. You, you can be, you know how it feels to be wrong? And you're all going, it feels terrible. No, it doesn't. It feels right. Because when you're wrong, you don't know it. The real issue is, do you know how it feels when you find out you're wrong? Right? So the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So my challenge is to say this. If what you believe is not in line with the scripture, then you're wrong. Even if you don't feel wrong, even if you feel very right. And while I don't say that to offend you, I do say that to provoke you to think, what do you believe and why do you believe it? And when you walk out of here, will you even think more about it or will you care? So, with that, I don't have a whole lot of time, but, I, but I, I'd suggest that true churches are supposed to follow God's inspired word, the Bible, as the final source. People say, well, how do I know if that's a good church or a bad church? Ask yourself, is the Bible their final authority? Or do they say, well, we do this, we do that, we do this because of our traditions. So, in the Bible, Jesus commanded the church to practice two ordinances. There weren't seven sacraments, but there are two things that he commanded. He commanded people to get baptized, and he commanded them to regularly practice what might be called the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. So, Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, and then baptize them. Okay? So, what does that look like? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what I want you to think about is what is a disciple, right? A disciple is just another word for a follower of Christ, a person who is a believer. You're not born a disciple. You become a disciple when you listen to God's word and you realize that Jesus said, I'm not good enough for heaven. I'm a sinner, and that there's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. But I learned this glorious news that Jesus became a man and lived a sinless life and hung up on that cross and shed his blood to pay the penalty for my sins. And that when he was up there on the cross, he said, it is finished. He's the Lamb of God who took away my sin. And he offers me full and free forgiveness through what he did on the cross. It's not a it's not a, a co-payment where I go to purgatory or I do good works. Jesus paid it all. A disciple, first of all, understands and believes that, that Christ died and rose again. And then they, they whether it's very subtly or very dramatically, they, they repent of their sin in the sense that they're, they're willing to turn from anything that they know has, has been wrong. And in simple faith, they cast themselves independence upon Christ. And so you heard people say, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay? If, if you have not yet done that, according to the Bible, you're not going to heaven. 
right? It doesn't matter if you go to church every Sunday, if you give lots of money. You must become a disciple. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, and everyone who believes will be saved. Everyone who repents will be saved. So some of you go, I don't remember when I did that. You don't have to remember when you did it, but what you do need to know is that you did it, right? As John Beagle shared a quote with me one time, I don't have to see the sunrise to know the sun's out. So you don't need to go back and say, oh, I remember it was March 7th, 19th, you know, whatever. But the issue is, do you know that you are trusting in Christ alone and that he has forgiven you? And you're willing to follow him. If so, you're a disciple. But then he says, once you make a disciple, and hopefully that's what parents are learning to do, right? I'm trying to disciple my children. I'm teaching them. I'm living before them a life of faith in Christ with my prayer and hope that they will embrace this for themselves. God doesn't have grandchildren, right? But once you become a disciple, you ask yourself, have I ever been baptized? Now, I'll save you from asking me this personally. I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to get baptized again? And I'll say, were you saved as a baby? Is there anything in the Bible that teaches that you should be baptized before you're saved? So I think it kind of speaks to itself. Disciples publicly identify with Christ in baptism. If you have a different opinion, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. So with that in mind, I'm going to skip over the Lord's Supper. We ought to ask a couple questions. Who should be baptized? Well, never in the Bible will you read of people who are being baptized before they make a, a, a profession of faith, before they are converted, before they turn to Christ and get it. Jesus said, go in the world and preach the gospel. He who has believed, see, that comes first, and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So belief always precedes baptism. So for that reason, we don't baptize children. Well, why not? Because they have not made a credible profession of faith. What I mean by that is, when someone says, I want to get baptized here, we have a little class, we instruct them, and then we ask them, tell us why you want to be baptized. And if they go, because I want to make sure that I'm going to heaven, we're going, okay, that's not biblical. You, you don't, you, let's talk about it. You don't need to be baptized to go to heaven. Okay? So, but again, here's an example of, of what I was talking about earlier properly interpreting scripture. This is the verse that the church of Christ uses. They go, you're not saved until you're baptized. Because look, it says, he that believes and has been baptized. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. Now, personally, I think that's a false teaching. The Bible says, if anybody preaches a different gospel, he's under the curse of God. I think that's terribly wrong because the Bible makes it incredibly clear that salvation is a gift by God's grace. It's not by any works that we perform. In the early church, the Jews were trying to add one little thing. We have to be circumcised and believe. And Paul goes, if you believe that, you're not saved. Same thing today. If someone tells you you're not saved until you're baptized, I'm going, that's not the gospel. This is not the only verse that talks about this. There are dozens of verses that make it clear that it's not by works and that baptism is not part of your salvation. So, we're not going to get into why people baptize infants. I'm sorry, like, I came, I put money in the offering, I paid for a good lesson, but we're out of time. I'm sorry, you know what I mean? You can't. <laughs> we'll give you a refund on the way out. <laughs> Questions about baptism should be answered from the Bible. Why should Christians be baptized? Never for salvation. 
For by grace you are saved through faith. Many of you have not really understood grace yet. You're like, I've heard about it. Grace means you don't deserve it. Grace means it's free. Grace means it's unconditional. Grace means you come to Jesus and you go, I'm not good. I'm broken. I'm messed up. But you promised me that you would save me if I just put my faith and trust in you. It's a gift of God's wonderful grace. It's not as a result of works. So an easy way to cut to the, to the chase is I'll ask a person, you've heard me ask it a thousand times here in the pulpit, why should God let you into heaven? If he asks you today, why should I let you into heaven? If you go, well, because I've tried to be a good person, you don't get it. It says it's not as a result of works. So, so that's where you would have to repent and say, oh, wow, I, I believe the wrong thing. Lord, today I put my trust in you alone, and I trust that I'm saved by faith in Christ alone. Amen? Anybody believe that here? I do, and many of us do. So, baptism symbolizes two things. One, the water symbolizes that you're forgiven. There's no power in that water. And then immersion, going underwater, symbolizes that you've died to your old life. Again, I wish we had more time to look at this, but at Riverstone Church, we immerse people because the word baptize means to dip, and it symbolizes death. So if you go, well, why don't you sprinkle? Because we don't think that's what the Bible teaches. So we say, hey, if you've become saved, you come and you, you get in the water, and you say, I'm forgiven, and I've died to my old life, and I'm, I'm living a new life in Christ. It doesn't happen when you get in the water. It happens the moment you're saved. So let me just close with a couple thoughts. First of all, I want to remind you, if you're a Christian, remember your baptism. Some of you can't remember your baptism because you didn't have one yet. Because maybe it was as a baby or you're not saved. But if you're a Christian and you, and you, and you were baptized as a believer, we're called to go back and think about that. And here's why. For a person to come out of the baptismal pool and live their old life the way they used to live, just living for themselves and sinning, is to discredit the very thing that you're testifying. When you get baptized, what you're saying is, I have died with Jesus to my old life. He has changed me and forgiven me. And now I'm learning to walk in a new life. So even an 11-year-old can say, I used to be really mean. I ain't perfect, still fight with my brothers and sisters, but there's a difference. Charles Spurgeon gave a beautiful illustration of this. I, I want to read you just briefly in his sermon on baptism. He says, Suppose that a man was condemned to die on account of a great crime. Suppose further that he actually was put to death. Now in our day we say he, he got the injection. But now by some wonderful work of God, after having died, he was made to live again. So he comes back among us. He was killed for some terrible crime. Spurgeon says... What ought to be the state of mind with regards to his past and what he did? Will he commit that crime again? Do you think if he came back, he'd go, oh, I want to kill someone again? He said, a crime for which he already died? I say emphatically, God forbid. Rather, he would say something like this. I've tasted the bitterness of sin. I've tasted the consequences of sin. I'm miraculously lifted out of the death which sin brought upon me. I have a chance to live again now, and I will hate the thing that slayed me. I will abhor it with my soul. Does that resonate within you? If you call yourself a Christian, 
and Jesus went to the cross and he's forgiven me, for me to just keep on sinning and going, hey, I got my free hell insurance, what am I saying to Jesus? What am I saying about baptism? So you don't go, oh, I can't get baptized till I'm perfect. But you go, if I'm going to get baptized, I'm, I'm, I'm testifying of a truth that the Bible actually says that I have died to sin, that I no longer live to indulge and enjoy my sin, but I'm going to fight and endure my sin. So I'm assuming that a person who's a drunkard comes to Christ, gets saved. I would never say, oh, look, they got drunk again. They're not a Christian. But I would ask them, if you're still doing that on a regular basis, do you feel God convicting you? Do you feel remorse? Do you feel a sense that, hey, this is not who I am anymore? Now, to an unbeliever, that doesn't make sense. Why would I want to give up all the fun stuff? Well, it's because they don't get it. They haven't received new life. If your heart is a computer and God puts a new program in there that desires holiness. And so I want to encourage you, remember your baptism. Abhor sin. Hate it. Every form of it. Fight it. Pray for one another. Walk in the spirit. Learn the gospel. Don't just go, hey, I got my hell insurance. I just do whatever I want. I need to hear this. And I hope that this will be a great reminder. Remember your baptism. Secondly, if you're a believer, and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm not real into that. You know, I don't, I don't do public speaking, right? You heard a testimony. Well, Jesus didn't say, hey, if, you, if you're a confident, gregarious person, come stand in front of everybody. I promise you, he'll give you power. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Your knees may be knocking when you get in that pool. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's obeying Jesus. And man, I'll tell you, this, when I got in that water, I was so scared, but the Spirit of God met me there. And if you've not been baptized for whatever reason, stop making excuses and obey Jesus for your own benefit. And if you have issues, talk to us about it. We're not going to throw you under the bus, but we want you to be a a disciple, a follower of Christ. Amen? And then lastly, and I'll close with this. To the rest, you might say, boy, that got me thinking about a lot of things. Good. When Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, when he got done, the people said, what should we do? Maybe this morning you're thinking, well, what do you want me to do, Tom? Well, it's not what I want you to do. Look what Jesus said. Repent. Peter said, repent. So that means to, to be willing to turn to Jesus. I don't care if you're irreligious. You're like, I didn't have the time of day for God. Repent today and turn to him. Or if you go, well, I'm very religious, but I always thought my religion would get me into heaven. Repent. Throw away your religion that you thought would get you into heaven and turn to God. And then we'd be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so as we close this morning, what a great day. Amen? We saw five people. We're going to have some more in the second service. But let's just pray together. Don't forget to check out our small groups you want to talk about baptism or salvation we'll be here father thank you for this time to study your word together thank you so much that jesus loves us he died for us he rose again that what he did on the cross was all we need for salvation we bless and praise jesus today we pray for those who were baptized that they will live out their new life in christ that they will grow as disciples i want to pray for those who have kind of lost their way. They were baptized, but they've wandered back to their sin. Use this message to inspire them to live for Christ, our wonderful, gracious Savior. For those who are not yet baptized, may they be moved by the Holy Spirit to obey God. And for those who are not yet saved, Father, may you draw them to yourself.
May they have no rest for their souls until they encounter the Lord Jesus in a saving way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy the picnic. Enjoy the tables. If you have any questions, I'll be here afterward.